You know, I am continuously kind of messed up in my heart and my head. It blows my mind when I look around and I see we're a, we're a church of about, you know, 60 people, all told. And I'm talking like people from like that high, right, to, you know, like full grown. We're like 60 people. And out of that 60 people, which was just admit, that's a pretty small talent pool, we have some pretty amazing talent. God has brought us an amazing worship band. I mean, Mark is just an old hippie. Let's just, be, I mean, Mark and my lion. I mean, real, for real. Mark's just an old hippie. He's just an old hippie. He's an old hippie. He's been married to his wife for 34 years. They've raised two beautiful children. And without old hippie Mark being a part of Elevation Church, we would have never sung that song that we just sung. And am I wrong or was that awesome? I love that. And that whole back end, that whole last verse, Jim, he, he wrote that, right? Yeah, he's, he's blessed us more than once with songs that he has written or that he has revised and, and like reclaimed for Christ by taking a secular song and giving it spiritual meaning. So that secular song had spiritual meaning, and if you'll bear with me for a few minutes, you'll see how that plays into the message that God has given us today. Today we're kicking off a brand new series, a really cool series called Storytime. Now, if you think back to kindergarten, and for some of you that's been a long time, so we'll give you a couple extra seconds to think back that far, okay? I'm just being, I mean, I, hey, I'm almost 40. It's been a while for me too, okay? But for some of you, it hasn't been that long. Some of us haven't matured much since kindergarten, right? But some of us have matured a long way. So, you know, your age, your maturity level, all of that. But think back, was your favorite thing about kindergarten when the, like, the, the kindergarten teacher would gather all the little kindergarten kids and we would sit, I don't know if I can do this, we're going to try. We used to call it Indian style, but that's not politically correct anymore. So this is crisscross applesauce. Whatever. You'd sit like this, and she would, you'd be in your little semicircle, all your little friends, and, and the teacher would read stories. Wasn't story time cool? I loved story time. Why did they do away with story time in school? I don't know. I would have paid a lot more attention in first through 12th grade if we would have had story time somewhere along the way each and every day because we love stories. It's like a universal truth. Every culture around the world has stories. We love a good story. We love stories so much we have a whole industry that has sprung up around telling stories. It's called it's called Hollywood, right? Movies are big business. Billions of dollars every year in this country alone are spent making and watching movies. We have another industry that's sprung up around the telling of stories. It's, it's books. And I know the paper books are supposed to be going out of style and everything is going to be electronic in the future and my kids are already like riding that wave and they're leaving me behind. But, but I like story books. I don't care if they're paper books or electronic books. I love a story. I think you love stories too. People just love stories. We like to hear a story. We like to be entertained. We can learn through stories and and. Because we love stories so much, those industries, movies and books, billion-dollar industries, because we love stories so much, we, we know the name, hundreds of years later, of William Shakespeare. I mean, the guy lived hundreds of years ago. I was watching the Olympics last night. If anybody tuned in, it might have been late-night Olympics last night. I can't remember. I was up kind of late. I stay up. I'm an Olympic addict. Okay, there's a few others. I can, you know, so my name is Todd. I'm an Olympic addict, 
okay? So I'm an Olympic addict, and so I watch it pretty much till it goes off or Trina tells me to leave the bedroom and go back to the living room. So either or, and last night I had to turn it off in the bedroom. So I watched the Olympics last night, and they did a whole piece on William Shakespeare. They went back to his hometown. They showed the Globe Theater in London that still exists. I mean, hundreds of years after the man lived, we're still talking about William Shakespeare. That's how much we love stories. And so today, I, I want to start this series, Story Time, to, to appeal to you in this timeless way by telling stories. And it's not because I thought of it. I, there's not an original bone in my body. Well, maybe bones. There's not an original thought in my head. How's that? There's not an original thought in my head. What I bring to you on Sunday mornings, week in and week out, it's not my own creation. It's not my own stuff. I'll go ahead and confess. That I, I'm basically just following what Jesus did. Every Sunday, that's what I try to do. I try to emulate what Jesus did when he taught in the Bible. And one of Jesus' best teaching tools was a story. I think Jesus taught in stories because we love stories so much. He knew people would listen. It appealed to them. And so we're going to go through some of Jesus' stories in this series. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 13. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and flip open to Matthew uh, chapter 13. Matthew's the first book in the, in the New Testament. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's cool. We're going to pop the verses up on the screen behind so you can read them there. And, uh, but we're going to start and we're going to pretty much carry most of this series right here in Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to get into some of Jesus's stories. We're going to break them down and see what Jesus was teaching as he told these stories to people. And one of the first things I want to point out is that Jesus used a lot of different kinds of stories. You ever notice there's different kinds of stories, right? There's like fairy tale stories, there's love stories, there's action and adventure, there's all kinds of stories out there. Jesus used a particular type of story a lot in his ministry, and this type of story is called a parable. Now, a parable isn't just a story. A parable is like a, it's like a dual-purpose story. It's kind of like when you take a, a secular song and add a verse and make it mean something else. When you add that heavenly purpose to that worldly song, a parable is like that. A parable is a story with parallel meanings. You got the root of the word, right? Para. It's parallel meanings in a parable. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus did a lot of teaching through parables. And we're going to pick up with the parable of the sower, Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. You may notice the parable of the four soils. You may have heard this parable before. If you've been in church or around church or around church people, or if you've ever stopped off on TBN or any of the church channels as you're flipping through your 280 channels on cable or whatever, you may have somewhere in your life been exposed to this parable, and you may have an idea of what this story is about. But do you really know what the story is about. Have you got the heavenly meaning, the parallel meaning, or did you just hear the earthly side and maybe kind of wonder or try to determine on your own what Jesus was up to? Let's, let's find out today. Let's get into this parable and let's start breaking it down and let's find out what Jesus was up to. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to start off with verses 1 through 9, if you would read with me. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. See, Jesus was in the middle of his ministry already. He was blowing and going. He, I mean, he was moving from town to town, from house to house, this group, that group. He was teaching. He was preaching. He was in the midst of his ministry. 
And it says that day he, he went out from the house and, and he went by the lake and a large crowd gathered around him, such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. Jesus had like a packed house. He's on the beach, man, and there's like no room. He's backed up against the water. So he gets in a boat and he kind of strikes out a little ways so he has like a platform that he can preach and teach from and the people can hear what he's saying. It's a big, big crowd. And, and so Jesus, sitting in the boat, while all the people stood on the shore, told them many things and parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred or sixty or thirty times what was sown. And then Jesus said something kind of weird. He said, whoever has ears, let them hear. Now I'm just going to go out on a limb and say there was probably nobody by the seashore that day whose ears had been lopped off, right? I mean, we hadn't had that story of the Bible yet where an ear got cut off. There was probably everybody there had ears. But Jesus said, who has ears to hear, let them hear. See, he's, he's already letting on that this is a parable. There's dual meaning here. It's an earthly story with heavenly meaning. An earthly story with heavenly meaning. Because Jesus knew everybody in that audience could probably relate to the, to the seeds in the soil. This was a pretty much agrarian society. They would have gotten the, the illusion or the, the, the illustration of seeds and soil. Most of us would even get that, even though we're not really an agrarian society today. You know enough about farming. You understand, you put a seed in the dirt, the plant grows. You put a seed in bad dirt, probably not get much of a plant. You put a seed in good dirt, probably get a pretty decent one, right? So the people got that, but Jesus is letting them know there's, there's more to the story. And if you have ears to hear, you need to hear. Jesus, I think, knew that there was going to be confusion. I think it was by design. I think he planned that, that, that people hearing would, would have questions about what he was up to, what he was saying. I think even the disciples, he probably knew, would have some questions. And they sure enough did. We, uh, we look here and, and we find in verse 10 that the disciples, <laughs> they, were, they were a little confused. In fact, they were, they were a little concerned. I mean, they heard the story, and, and I don't think all the disciples understood the deeper meaning. They, they heard the story, they understood the soil, they understood the seed, but they maybe weren't sure what else Jesus was up to. And not only that, I think they were a little confused. In fact, we, we know in verse 10 they are. Why is Jesus all of a sudden using parables? This is the first time in Scripture that we find him teaching in a parable. Up until that point, Jesus was pretty straightforward about the gospel. He would lay it out there, call it what it was, tell you where you stood, and give you an opportunity to make a decision about it. And I think because the crowds had get grown so large, Jesus had identified that some people were following him that weren't really following him. They were like groupies, right? They were just kind of hanging out because cool stuff was happening. They weren't even sure what Jesus was about. And so Jesus begins to speak in these parables. And so the disciples, in verse 10, they're very confused. And, and maybe you've been like the disciples before. You followed a leader who all of a sudden did something new. He did this new thing, or she did this new thing. And you weren't sure why they were doing it. Maybe you were confused about the purpose behind it. 
And not only were you confused about the purpose behind it, you may have even been so bold as to think maybe they weren't doing the right thing. Maybe they were kind of coloring outside the lines or going outside the bounds, and, and maybe you would do it differently. Nobody can identify with that one. Hey, man, in ministry, I've been under a lot of leaders that I thought, well, that was stupid. When they did so, I mean, I didn't say that much, but, but occasionally I've thought it, that, oh, that, that was stupid. I wouldn't have done that that way. But you know what I didn't do, and, and maybe you did do this when you've encountered it in your leadership life, but I didn't go to my leader all the time when something like that happened and ask them a question like, why? Like, what, what, why did you do that? That's new. That's different. I didn't give myself the opportunity to learn or themselves the opportunity to teach. I just thought in my head I had a better way. You know what? I'm glad that the disciples didn't do that. I'm glad that verse 10 is here. Because the disciples, when they, when they wondered about this, they were like, what is Jesus doing? I can see like Peter and John off in a corner like, dude, I would not have told that story. What is the Lord thinking? Right? I don't know. I'm making that up. That's not here. But it could have happened. But, but they didn't just follow blindly. They didn't just chatter and whisper and wonder and second guess. Verse 10, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Good question. Why do you speak to the people in parables? Number one, the reason that's a good question, it gave them an opportunity to learn, to grow, to get outside of the paradigm that they had existed in up until that point. Number two, it kept them from going behind Jesus' back whispering, chattering, gossiping, and second-guessing. Because when they knew what Jesus was up to, aha, that's easier to follow that guy. So there's a little free bonus point in there for you that really isn't even part of the message, but maybe it is. If you got that bonus point, you have ears to hear this morning, okay? So the, yeah, I'm not even going to explain it. So the disciples came to him and they asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? This is new. This is confusing. We don't connect with what you're doing. Jesus answered them, and I love Jesus' answer in verse 11. I love what Jesus was up to. We're going to read verses 11 to 17. Read with me on this. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Then he starts quoting scripture. He says, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people, talking about the nation of Israel, this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. He continues, but blessed are your eyes, talking to the disciples, because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it. And longed to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. That's a lot of stuff. 
And some of it's kind of hard truth. There's some, there's some harsh stuff in there. We all thought Jesus was hugs and, and kisses and life is going to be okay and, and don't you worry. But, but here Jesus is like nitty-gritty, up in your grill, all in your business. Jesus says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you but not to them. So what, is Jesus holding out on some of these people? Is he like not trying to let them in on the big deal the good news, the gospel, is he like intentionally sending them to hell? It kind of sounds like it at first blush, at first glance. You, 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 the knowledge has been given to you, but not to them. So did God create any of us for the purpose of leading us out? Well, the Bible says that God wants every one of us to repent, to turn away from our sin, and to love him, to trust him, as we talked about in our last series, to, to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. God wants us all in. He, he, he wants all of us in and none of us out. So why would Jesus contradict that? Well, if we dig a little deeper, I don't think Jesus is contradicting. He continues, says, whoever's been given a lot will be given more, and whoever doesn't have much is going to be left out. I think Jesus is looking around the crowd. Remember, it's so packed along the seashore. He had to push out on a boat to preach to these people, to teach to these people. And as he looks around, Jesus being fully God and fully man, being fully God, I think he can identify what's going on in the hearts and in the minds of the people that are surrounding him. And I think he looks at that crowd and he sees people who really are not interested in the things of God. They're not interested in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. They're interested in being in the cool crowd. They're interested in, in being part of something that's electric. They're interested in, in all of these other things. How does this position me politically? What kind of uh, clout can I gain in this group? If I get in on the ground floor of this thing, it looks like it could take off. How cool would that be? I could make some money. could write a book, maybe. Uh, pen a scroll. I don't know what they did. I don't know. I don't know what those things were, but I think Jesus did. And so Jesus says, look, disciples, I'm telling you, I'm telling these stories in parables today because there's some people here that need to hear it, that want to hear it, that are hungry to hear it. I've got good news. I've got good seed, and I want to sow my good seed in good Soil, prepared hearts, people who are ready to receive it. And frankly, I don't want to waste my good seed on the unprepared hearts, on those who are here with wrong intentions, on those who are not ready to receive it. And so I'm telling the story today, disciples, in a parable, so that those who are prepared, who have ears to hear, will hear, and the soil of their heart can receive. And those who don't, they're just going to think I'm talking about seeds and soil. And that's okay. Hard truth. Tough stuff. I mean, Jesus, really, if you want to get down to it, he explains the whole parable just by explaining why he's teaching in parables. He explains the whole parable right there just by explaining why he was teaching. He wants to sow the seed in good soil. Think about the soils that Jesus mentioned in the story. Four kinds of soil. He said one of the types of soil is, is, is like the soil of the path. 
you know, but this was like pre-concrete days, right? They didn't have like blacktop and paved roads. The path was a dirt path. The road was a dirt road. And the path that Jesus talks about would have been like the highways and the byways, would have been like the service roads and the access roads that we have right here in Flower Mound. It would have been packed down hard dirt, probably about as hard as concrete, because for centuries people would have traveled these same paths, these same roads. And that dirt, that soil, would have been severely compacted it would have even been like a dip a ditch you know you'd have the fields maybe on both sides and this road that goes through and it would have been lower than the fields because it was so well traveled the same thing with the paths that went through the fields where seed might be sown it would have been beaten down from years of the farmers walking those paths and sowing the seed and pulling the weeds and doing the things that farmers do and so this would have been a real good analogy for for the disciples and the people to understand the soil of the path was not receptive. It was hard as a brick, hard as concrete. The rocky soil that Jesus talks about, by the way, the path in a person, it represents, Jesus even used the word calloused, a calloused heart, a hard heart. Now, the, the rocky soil, I've never been to the Middle East, but I've talked to a few people that have. Never been to the Holy Land, to Israel. Talked to a few people that have. I've, I've read books about it. I've watched you know, television shows, I've been online and researched it. Like, I'm not obsessed, but I really want to go there one day. And one of the things I have found as I studied this and, and have talked to some people about that area, there are a lot of areas that would have been exactly as Jesus describes the rocky soil. There's a lot of areas in the Middle East where it, the soil on top looks really good. It's like loose and, and fresh, and it looks like you could plant in it. And if you sowed seeds there, those seeds would grow up. But what happens is if you just go down a couple of inches, it's limestone. It's rock, solid rock, right underneath just a little bit of topsoil. It's kind of like if you go to South Dallas and, 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 and just down in the south part of Dallas County. My parents live down in Midlothian, and, and, and you ever been down there? It's like all that white caliche rock, I think they call it. You've seen that? It's like nothing can grow but like cedar trees and brush, right? Cedar trees, I mean, you could plant a cedar tree on this wooden stage, and I think it would grow. But, but that's all that can grow. And I think, it's, I think this is like that soil down there. So if you've ever been to that part of this area, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's soil, but it's shallow, and then it's rock, hard rock. And so if you sowed seeds on that, it would come up, but, but they can't, the roots can't go down. And, and, and I say this is like a confused heart. Confused, like it looks good, but, it, but it's not. The third soil that Jesus talked about actually was good soil, except that there were thorns already growing in it. If you've ever planted anything in a field, I've done a little bit of this with my, with my deer hunting. You know, we plant little, little areas and see if the deer will come and eat our good crops. Really frustrating in West Texas because you talk about a place that can grow some thorns. I think West Texas and the Middle East have a lot in common. I'm just saying, okay? But you talk about a place that can grow some thorny brush, West Texas, man, can grow some thorny brush. And I have planted before in a field that was good soil, but doggone it. That West Texas wind blows all these other seeds and they take root in the soil and the plants come up together and those stinking weeds, those thorn bushes, those briars, those tumbleweeds always grow faster than the good seed. And they choke it out and it withers and dies because it's all like shaded underneath the, 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 the bad plants. It can't get enough sunlight, it can't get enough nutrition, enough water through the soil and the plant withers and dies 
and the thorn survives. And then the good soil. I call this, oh, by the way, the thorny soil, I call that a conflicted heart. A conflicted heart. This is a heart that's in conflict with the good and the bad. And then the, the good soil, the cultivated heart. This is a heart that, that somebody has prepared to receive the seed. It's like the good soil. It's like when you want to plant a garden in your backyard and you go get the tiller, right? Or maybe you even start off even, even tougher than that. You go get the sod cutter because you got grass. And you like cut the sod out, you haul it off. And then you get the tiller out and you, you know, get like six inches of tilled up soil and then you dig that stuff out and haul it off in your wheelbarrow and dump it in somebody's empty lot somewhere when they're not looking. Not that I'm, you know, saying that that's a good idea. I'm just saying it happens. And then you go down to like that place called um, Living Earth and you buy like good soil, like with worms and stuff in it. And it's like fertile and, and loose and it's aerated and man, it's just awesome. It even smells bad, which is good. And so you put that in and then you plant your stuff. That's the good soil, baby. Somebody did some work to prepare that plot to receive the seed so the seed could grow. Now, I, I think about these soils, and maybe you identified with one of those, the calloused heart, the path, soil, so hard, so compacted, so, so hard and, and just impenetrable. I remember as a high school kid, we lifted a lot of weights. I played football. And I thought I'd worked a lot in my life. thought I had kind of tough guy, you know, mentality. And we'd get in there at the end of the summer because we would kind of cut out for a couple of months. The kids can't do that today, but we, we used to get away with it. And we'd end up showing back up in the weight room about two weeks before two-a-day started like we'd been there all summer. Yeah, Coach, here I am. Didn't miss me, did you? And I remember when we would do that, start lifting those weights, I'd get these calluses right across here. Some of you guys that work with your hands, you know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all have had calluses for so long, you didn't know they were calluses. You thought it was normal. But I remember I'd get these big, thick, hard pads on my skin right across here. Sometimes they'd crack. Sometimes they'd, like, peel off. But, but eventually, if you work hard enough, long enough, they just become part of you. And it's, it's to protect you doing all the hard work, whatever it is you do. It's to protect you from getting blisters and cuts and all this stuff. The skin just gets rock hard. It's nappy. It's gross. Some of you have a nappy, gross heart. It's calloused. It's calloused from years of hardship, hard living, hard things happening to you. Sometimes because you did other things that brought those consequences on you, sometimes you don't even know why. It just You got dealt a hard hand that day. You got to deal with some hard stuff. You've done some hard living. You've had some hard things and those hard things have made your heart hard because it hurts until you get those calluses. And as those calluses have built around your heart and they have hardened your heart, they have made you impenetrable to the love of God. I mean, it's not that He doesn't love you. It's not that He's intentionally cutting you out of His will. It's a choice you've made to harden your heart as a protection against the hurts of this world. Maybe you have a hard, calloused heart packed down like the soil of the path. Maybe you've decided that you're going to be your own man or your own woman. You can't rely on anybody else. You can't trust anybody else. You can't love anybody else or be loved by anybody else because all of that brings hurt. So you rely on you and you alone. You won't let your spouse in, your children in, 
For some of you, it's your ex-spouse because of this. It's hard. And maybe you've blamed all kinds of other things. Maybe you've even blamed the hard things that have happened to you. Reality check today. It's a decision that you've made. It's a choice that you've entered into to allow your heart to become hard. It's time to recognize those calluses for what they are and to realize what they do. Some of you identified with the confused heart, the rocky soil. You realize that you're shallow. Ouch. That's a stinking bad realization to come to. I've been there. Not long before we started this church, I had a shallow soil moment where I realized I had been out of line with God's will. I had been living, doing all these things that looked right, sounded right, everything to anybody else would have, maybe my wife saw through some of it, but, but for most anybody else would have thought I was, man, solid. I was confused. I was confusing a lot of other people too. I was shallow, rocky soil. The things of God were in me, but they couldn't fully develop. They couldn't fully grow. They would spring up, and then they would wither because of the challenges of this life. They would get lost in the, in the rocky soil. I was confused about things. It made me unproductive. It's kind of felt yuck. Maybe some of you can identify with that. For some of you, maybe it plays out like this. I mean, for me, this is... My shallowness was different from this, but this is a way I've seen the shallowness play out a lot in the church. People come to church for the first time or the first time in a long time, and they hear a really good preacher, not like me, but a really good preacher who like gets them all worked up and excited. And, and then at the end of the, of the message, he gives this amazing invitation. It's like turn or burn, you know. I mean, come to Jesus. He's ready. And, and you make an emotional decision. And you profess a faith that you don't really have. But it felt good in the moment. It was exciting. I was emotionally connected. I made an emotional decision. And then you get out and start living this life, trying to be a follower of Jesus, trying to do what the Bible says and be who you think you're supposed to be and love God. And, and you're, you're, you're trying, but, but you're shallow because you only got part of the picture and you made an emotional decision and you're not all in you're not all in you're not loving God with all your heart soul mind and strength you're you're just emotionally connected and the same thing happens in that kind of a relationship with God that happens in a relationship between two people that's based on on lust or on sex eventually it fizzles out it's just an emotional connection there's nothing real, no depth to it. And so maybe some of you can identify with, with walking with Christ and realizing you have a shallowness to your soil. Or some of you have made a faith decision that wasn't really a faith decision. It was an emotional decision. And, and you realize you're claiming something you don't really have. You're a confused heart or you have a confused heart. Some of you probably identified more with the, with the conflicted heart, that, that thorny soil or the good soil that produced a lot of thorns, along with the good crop. You're lost in the pursuits of your own happiness, your own feel-good moments. You're going through life thinking, hey, I can love God, 
and I can love, fill in the blank, myself is what it usually comes down to. I can love myself. I can, I can love God and serve Him on Sunday morning for an hour. And maybe even, you know, like go and do some homeless missions or drop some money in the plate or do a good thing here and there. I can do that and I can be kind of devoted to God and really devoted to my job or really devoted to recreation. Or, or maybe I can, I can love God here, but, but really what I'm doing, I'm trusting in myself. I don't trust God. I don't really give Him all of my heart. I don't really give Him all of my soul. Uh, maybe I'm a proof person. And, and the Bible sounds good, but there's no proof. I watched the Discovery Channel, and they said that, that Jesus wasn't really everything Jesus said He was. And they seem to have more proof. There's a lot of ways to get into this conflicted deal. There's a lot of weeds that can spring up in your life. There's a lot of thorns that can grow and overtake the gospel if you aren't all in with him. If you're not fully devoted to following Jesus, if you don't trust him above the Discovery Channel or, or whichever reporter or newspaper or writer or whatever you like, if you don't trust him more than you trust money, because some of you, you're in love with money. In the Bible, I mean, right here Jesus talked about it's the pursuit of wealth that is the weed, that is the thorn that really chokes a lot of people out. We talked about that several weeks ago when we opened up the All In series with loving God with all of your heart. And, and money is one of the things that competes for our hearts more than anything else in our lives today. It's the love of money that competes with the love for God. And so Jesus said this, this, this gospel, this good news, can be choked out by the conflict of these other things going on in your life, competing for your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then the good soil, the cultivated soil, my favorite soil. The good soil, the seed falling on good soil, refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Cultivated soil. Seed that has been sown in cultivated soil grows to maturity. Have you ever seen a wheat plant grow? Wheat, when it's a little bitty plant, looks like grass. Like you could think a wheat field is like somebody's yard, you know? You could plant wheat in your front yard and, and people would think at the beginning, it's just grass. And if you keep mowing it down, it really keeps looking like grass. But wheat, when it grows to maturity, gets about knee-high, thigh-high. If it's been a good wet year, maybe you even get waist-high or chest-high wheat. And boom, it busts out in a big old head. And those kernels of seeds are in there. And so one seed of wheat grows up and it produces this giant head that has thousands and thousands of seeds. Jesus says when we grow to maturity and we bear fruit, it's 30, 60, 90 times what was sown. When you think about that good soil, you think about the good heart, the heart that's been cultivated and prepared. And by the way, I think the farmer that cultivates the soil is the Holy Spirit. In a lot of cases, it's just the Holy Spirit. It's also the church, it's believers, it's people like you and like me who invest in the lives of other people and we share with them the good news of Jesus. We let them see in our lives what it looks like to follow Christ. And those things can prepare their heart to receive the seed. It can prepare the soil to grow that seed 
to maturity so that it can bear fruit. And what do you think the fruit of a follower of Jesus looks like? Like if a Christ follower grows in their maturity in Christ and produces fruit, what does it look like? Because Jesus said that's how we can know when, you know, when we're talking to somebody who's a believer, a follower of him, we can look for the fruit in their lives. I love it. I mean, I teach my kids this all the time. You can always tell what kind of a person or what kind of a plant you're dealing with by the fruit that it produces, right? Like an apple tree grows what kind of fruit? Apples. What's a lemon tree grow? What? Lemons. Can an apple tree grow a lemon? Can't happen. Can a lemon tree grow an apple? No. Can a Christ follower grow unchristlike fruit? No. Can somebody who doesn't follow Christ produce Christian fruit? No. It could be like the shallow rocky soil. It can look good for a little while, but it's going to wither. So you can check the fruit on the tree. Check the fruit on your own tree. Paul wrote in the, his letter to the church in Galatia. If you want to turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it's going to be on the screen too. This is what the fruit of a life in Christ looks like. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, is love, joy, peace, patience. Your Bible might say forbearance. I don't know what that means, but patience is what I think it means. It's what's in, most, in a lot of other translations. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That is the fruit that your life should produce if you are following Jesus. If your heart is good soil, receptive soil, prepared soil, if your heart was cultivated when the seed of the gospel was sown in you, unless it was like in the last three or four or five weeks, then you're still, you know, you haven't reached maturity and can't produce much fruit in that period of time. But if you've been following Christ for very long and you had a cultivated heart, you should see this fruit in your life. Somebody said it like this. I think I used this analogy a couple of weeks ago as well. If you were going to be put on trial as a Christian, is there enough evidence in your life to convict you? Do you have this fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Do you have that fruit in your life? If not... I'm not going to make you raise your hand or stand up or identify yourself right now, but you need to be thinking about, if not, where, what's the condition of your heart? What is the condition of your heart? Why has the seed not taken root? Why has the gospel not grown to maturity? Why are you, as a follower of Jesus, if you think you are, not producing this kind of fruit? Is your heart hard? Is it calloused? from all the hard things you've experienced? Is it shallow because you're not fully committed? You're kind of questioning and holding out? Is it conflicted because of the worries of this world or the pursuit of wealth? 
The gospel is the seed. The Holy Spirit in you empowers you to grow to that maturity. The fruit is the result. It's the result of being, for lack of a better word, saved. Now, saved is just a Christianese word, okay? I mean, you've all heard about being saved. I was saved, she was saved, he was saved. Are you saved? Saved is just a Christianese word that means somebody has realized that doing life their way doesn't work. And what they have found is that if they will place their trust in Christ, if they will have faith in Him, that He is who He says He is, the Son of God, that He does what He says He will do, forgive you for your sins, then they can live a blessed life in this life on earth and in eternity. Then they pray to receive that gift, that seed. They pray to receive the cultivated heart where the seed can take root and grow and produce fruit. That's all being saved means. Here's the kicker. You can't produce that fruit out of any other kind of soil, out of any other kind of heart than the cultivated one. For some of you, Today is the day that you need to ask the Holy Spirit to break out the plow. To do some hard work. Cultivation is not easy and it is not pain free. See, I don't want to cultivate any followers of Jesus here that have made emotional decisions. I'm just going to get real with you for a moment. If you're kind of kicking the tires on Christianity this morning, or if you realize you've got one of these hearts that maybe isn't the, the right kind of heart, the right kind of soil, and you need to make a different decision in your life, hear me on this. It ain't easy to follow Jesus. Ouch. It's not pain-free and it's not cost-free. There's a cost associated. The first cost is the pain of letting your heart be cultivated by the Holy Spirit. That is asking God to search me, O Lord, and show me any way that is impure, any thought, any action, any heart condition of mine that is not in line with you. And some of us will be shocked to know how dark our hearts are. But the beauty of that is God went to, Jesus went to the cross knowing the condition of your heart. He died for you anyway. He loved you anyway. He loved you in spite of knowing how weird and off and, and sinful you would be. So this morning, it's time to pray that the Spirit would come and, and convict you, show you what those sins are, and begin to deal with you and prepare the soil of your heart so that the seed of the gospel, which has been planted today and many other times in this church and in your life, and will be again, so that seed can take root, be nourished, thrive, grow, and produce fruit in your life, in your family, in this church, in this community, and in this world. Some of us, it's time to be broken. Have that hard soil, that hard pan, as the farmers call it, broken. 
to have that shallow soil turned up, have the rocks removed, have good soil piled on top if that's what it takes. For some of you, it's time to get out the the weed killer, the herbicide, and start taking out the thorns. Your love of money, your love of self, the pursuit of all of the, the flesh, the worldly happiness instead of joy. The Holy Spirit will do this. This church will do this, powered by the Holy Spirit, if you will only let it. It's time to be cultivated this morning. It's time to prepare your heart to be Jesus' home. Heavenly Father, thank you today for the gospel, the good news, the good seed Father, thank you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit to let us know where we stand, to tell us where we lack the fruit of the Spirit, to show us, Father, if our hearts are hard and calloused, if they're shallow and confused, or if they're just conflicted with all of the worries of this world. Father, for those this morning whose hearts had been cultivated, in which the seed has been sown and has grown, God, I pray right now that each of these people right now would join me in praying for those who have conviction this morning about the conditions of their hearts, that they would have ears to hear And that the Spirit would move them to make not an emotional decision, not an uninformed decision, not a decision that, yay, I want to be saved by Jesus. I want to get out of hell free card. But they would make an informed decision knowing that the pain is coming, the challenges are coming, that that being a Christian doesn't take away all the worries of the world. It just gives you peace to know that there is somebody greater than you to deal with those worries. The challenges are still there. The worries are still there. The hard times are still there. We just have you to turn to, God. So may all of us this morning who follow you with good hearts pray for those who are ready to make that decision. And if you're that person this morning who's right there, ready to step over the line, to let the Holy Spirit break your heart, break the hard soil, turn over the rocks, burn out the weeds, the thorns, This morning, just pray this. God, I believe to the best of my ability that you are in control of my life and that you love me. And I believe that your son died on the cross for my sins. That Jesus did that for me, knowing how messed up I would be. And that through him I have forgiveness. And that I can live a productive life here on earth and a joy-filled life here on earth and in heaven with you when this life is done. It's not just to get out of hell free. It's to know Jesus as both my Savior and as my Lord, my leader, now and for the rest of my days. 
And if you prayed that this morning, then you need to get involved with some of the people here in Elevation Church who are already following Christ faithfully. And let us invest in the cultivation of your heart so that you know the next steps to take, so that you can bounce off of us the ideas, the questions that you have about what it means and how to follow Christ. Let the Spirit work through us, work through this church to continue to cultivate you so that your life can be changed as the seed of the gospel grows and begins to bear fruit. Father, we give this time to you this morning, trusting that you have done your work, your business in each and every heart here, and that we would all leave here today closer to you, our hearts more prepared to grow the seeds of the gospel so that they can bear fruit in our life, in this church, and in the community. In Jesus' name, amen.